Our text this morning is found in Ruth chapter 2. We'll be looking at the entirety of this chapter. And I'll just make a note, if, if you need to sit down at any point during the reading, please feel free to do so. Um, this is not a test of endurance, but uh, you will find the text also printed for you on pages 5 and 6 of the bulletin. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather in the, among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother, your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out from the, some of the bundles for her, and leave it to her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. You may be seated. And as we do, let us together go to the Lord, asking his help to understand his word. Our Father God, we do come before you rejoicing in Jesus, our Redeemer, pleading with you to be our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. May my words be true and faithful, 
even as I confess, as we sang earlier, my unworthiness even to preach, but the worth that I have because of Christ. May you be glorified in your preach, the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Ooh, a storm is threatening my very life today. If I don't get some shelter, ooh, yeah, I'm going to fade away. I didn't sing the song. But even though Ruth and Naomi lived long before the Rolling Stones, these opening words to arguably the band's most recognizable song fit quite well to their situation at the end of chapter 1 we looked at last week. The journey home from Moab is over. Naomi is back in Bethlehem with Ruth by her side. And while the road home was certainly not uneventful, the fun was just beginning. The storm that had become Naomi's and now Ruth's life was not yet over. Naomi, a bitter old woman by her own confession, and Ruth, a young Moabite widow, needed shelter, a refuge. Without it, they would, just as Naomi expected, fade away. And the question begs, where are they going to find such a refuge? From where are they going to get the provisions necessary, not only to keep them alive, but also to renew their hope? And the answer is obvious, even if the process to get there is far from it. The Lord will be Ruth and Naomi's refuge. He will supply their needs promise is the same for you and for I and for all who come to him by faith. There is abundant provision of grace for those who seek refuge in the Lord. There is abundant provision of grace for those who seek refuge in the Lord. You can find the points in the passage for our time this morning on page 8 of the bulletin. We're going to do four points this morning, aside from my usual three. We're going to look at the hope of provision, the means of provision, the bounty of provision, and finally the joy of of provision. And as we work through them, I want to encourage you not to immediately run to the end of either the story or the chapter, but actually let each point build as we go through it, and also encourage you to see and to be in wonder and awe of how God so graciously provides for this family, and let it also encourage us for how God will and has graciously provided for us. Chapter 2 begins with the hope for provision. As we noted last week, Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem, the house of bread, at the best time. The house of bread is full once again with bread. The fields are ripe and ready to be harvested. And yet, as Naomi and Ruth come back, they still need to find a means to, to get some of that harvesting. They have to find a way to supply it for themselves. They can't just sit back and wait. They can't whip out their phones and, and call in a delivery or schedule a time for someone to show up at their door with the grain just waiting for them to, to make some bread with it. And so we see Ruth, out of both love for her mother-in-law and necessity, she takes the initiative. She goes to her mother-in-law and she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. And then we see, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, we don't have any clue if Ruth was aware of the Mosaic law. In Leviticus 19, we read this of Moses instructing the people what they were supposed to do with the poor, the widow, the sojourners when it comes to 
their fields. Moses said, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Rather, you shall gather the glean, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And so the law of God gave hope for provision for a sojourner like Ruth. And Ruth, whether she's aware of the law or not, she's going to take full advantage of this provision. But hope for Ruth still meant work. It didn't negate it. At the very least, she and Naomi are going to scrape by, fill their bellies, and keep from fading away. And here we should commend Ruth. She's not lazy. She doesn't mope around in this woe-is-me attitude, I've lost my husband, I've lost my brother-in-law, I've lost my father-in-law. It's just me and my mother-in-law widow. She's diligent. She works hard to provide for those under her care. And going out to the field, she's ultimately fulfilling that vow she made to Ruth, uh, to Naomi, just last week as we looked at it. And in doing so, we actually see that Ruth is demonstrating the characteristics of the biblical picture of a godly woman. In actually the Hebrew Bible, Ruth doesn't come after Judges. It comes after Proverbs. And if you are familiar with Proverbs, you know what Proverbs ends with. The picture of the godly, God-fearing woman in Proverbs 31. The excellent wife who does things like seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for a household. We see Ruth is a real-life depiction of that woman celebrated in Proverbs 31. By the sweat of her brow and the work of her hands, she's going to provide for her family, even if it's just a family of two, her and her mother-in-law. She's going to work from morning till afternoon with just a short rest and then go back to the fields and do it again. For hope, as a demonstration of her hope, that there is provision. And while we should commend Ruth's efforts, we can't escape the very loud reality of the Lord's providence as well. Notice how both verse 1 and verse 3 bookend with this character Boaz. It starts, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then verse 3, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. We, the reader, we get the insight that Ruth doesn't have. We know that before even Ruth heads out the door, Not only is there hope of provision, there's a guarantee of provision. She doesn't know it, but it is there waiting for her. And actually, in the way that the writer makes it, he kind of jokingly makes it the shock of all shocks or the coincidence of all coincidences, whose field does Ruth just so happen to stumble upon? The field of Boaz. Any other field at this point in Israel's history would probably have proven to be disastrous. If you want proof, you can just flip back to Judges 19 and see how one city treated a sojourner, a group of sojourners who came into their city late at night. It actually unfolds just like Sodom and Gomorrah. But we see instead, by God's gracious provision, he leads Ruth not to one of those fields, but to the field of Boaz, this worthy man. Not some idolatrous scum running rampant in Israel who would take advantage of Ruth, or worse, 
And we see that with God, there is always hope for his people. We may not always see it. We may not even always appreciate it in the moment. Because we may not like that we have to go and actually glean in the fields. And it may not even be what we would choose or how we would plan it out if we were to have the ability to plan it out. But as the sovereign God, we can rest that his plan is always working. And the good of his people and the glory of his name is always the goal. Even in the storms, the uncertainties, the difficulties and the trials, you and I can have hope in the good and perfect providence of God. Ruth did. And she encourages all of us to do so as well. But we move then from, from hope of provision to the means of provision. It's Boaz. Boaz is the means of God's provision for Ruth and Naomi. While we don't know much about Boaz at this point in the story, the writer doesn't leave us guessing. We don't have to wonder, what's this guy like? Is he good? Is he bad? Is he? I'm not really sure. He may, the, the writer makes it very clear for us. That Boaz is going to be the means of provision first by nature of his character. Verse 1 calls him a worthy man. And this could mean one of three things. It could mean he's a mighty man. That phrase is also used in Judges when the Lord shows up to Gideon who's cowering in the wine press to thresh out the grain. And he says, greetings to you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, talking to me? It could also be a reference to a person's wealth or his standing, a good standing in the community. Or it could simply reflect the moral quality of an individual. It seems that the, the author is emphasizing the latter two when he describes, and as we further on see, Boaz as this worthy man. Boaz is not an ordinary, run-of-the-mill Israelite. He is special by nature of just his character alone. And in our day where character in leaders particularly, but also in people in general, is significantly lacking, we should find refreshment as we read about Boaz. We should pray that God would raise up more and more men and women who are like Boaz, high in character. Young people, I would plead with you to seek to be like a Boaz. But just in case there's any doubt of, is Boaz really this worthy character, Notice the first words that come out of his mouth. It's a blessing. The Lord be with you, he says to his workers. And they respond by, the Lord bless you. It's a response of blessing back to their boss. We see that Boaz is the boss that everyone wants to work for. He runs his business with moral excellence. He treats his employees as actual people, not just a means for him to get more wealth. He seeks to honor the Lord to show the same kindness and grace and mercy that he has received from him. And so along with us praying for more Boaz types, we the people of God should also seek to be a little bit more and more like Boaz. Whether you are the boss, whether you are the employee, or whether you're somewhere in the middle, be men and women of high character, moral excellence, Ultimately pointing to not your own character, not to your own morality, but to the high character and the high excellence of the one 
who you claim to serve. That's what Boaz was doing. But not only is Boaz going to provide through his character, he's actually going to provide through actual physical care. Boaz, as soon as he shows up to the field, he takes notice of Ruth right away. We don't know why. Maybe it's because he knows his servants that well that he sees someone who's not his servant and goes, who's that? But he doesn't just notice her. He goes up to her and speaks to her, speaks to her words of care. He says, now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field. When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And notice what he calls her. He says, daughter. On the one hand, this emphasizes his age. He is older than her, possibly significantly older than her. But it also carries affection. It carries a sense of, I care for you, which is incredibly shocking because remember, she's a foreigner, she's an outsider, and he's calling her daughter. I don't think Ruth was expecting affection when she, when she asked Naomi to please let me go and see whose favor I find. But more than just affection, she gets provision and protection. He says, Ruth, you can come, daughter, you can come glean in my field without fear of abuse, without fear of ridicule, without fear of harm. And on top of that, when you get thirsty, go to the water fountain and drink from it. Actually, ask someone to give you a glass of water. You don't need to draw it yourself. Which back then, it was the women served it for the men and the foreigners served it for the women or the men as well. Ruth gets an all-inclusive invitation to glean at its best. And each and every point of care that Boaz promises is not a, how can I fulfill the law to the least letter? He blows the doors off the law. And he says, I'm going to extend care beyond what the law requires. I'm going to grant you not just favor, but uncommon favor to your heart's delight. And we actually see that Boaz breaks down almost every natural barrier that stood between he and Ruth. Gender wasn't an issue. Ethnicity wasn't an, an issue. Her economic status wasn't an issue. He offers her the care by inviting her to come and glean freely in his field. It begs the question, or at least for me as I read this, why in the world would Boaz do this? And the text doesn't say. It could simply be, and it probably is, just points to the fact that Boaz is this worthy man that he's said to be. That's not just a title that's thrown there. He's proven himself to be a man of moral excellence, of high standing. It could also be he understands that she's connected to Naomi and he wants to care for his relative. However close or distant the relation is. It could also be, and I love this idea, and I will tell you it is hypothetical and conjecture, so don't take this home as foolproof. But it could also be that Boaz's own mother was a foreigner. She was an outsider. She was Rahab, the harlot in Jericho. She was the one who shielded the spies and then made a similar vow that Ruth made, 
saying, I'm turning my back on my people, my gods, and my land for your people, your God, and your land. So maybe, just maybe, Boaz has heard the story that his mother has told. And now, lo and behold, in God's providence, this foreign woman who has turned her back on her land, her people, and her God shows up in his field. And he gets to extend care to a foreigner. Again, I really love this idea. And when I get to heaven, I'll ask Boaz if that was what your main goal was. Maybe he's just reciprocating what his mother received. But whatever the case, whatever the exact reason, Boaz is willing, more than willing, to lavish Ruth with his fields. Which begs the question for us, are you and I willing to show such service and care, particularly to the outsiders? Do we even have eyes to see the outsiders among us in our workplaces, in our schools, even in our own church? And then are we eager to move towards them and to show them compassion? And if we aren't, may we ask God to make us more and more willing and eager to serve. And then thirdly, we see that Boaz not only is going to provide through his care, through his character, but also through his comfort. Ruth says this after he gives her these words in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz pronounces this absolutely beautiful blessing upon Ruth, this foreigner. He recognizes her act of covenant faithfulness towards Naomi. Apparently, Ruth had become the talk of the town, and not in a gossipy, trashy kind of way, but in a, have you heard about Ruth? Did you hear what she did for her mother-in-law? Can you believe it? And Boaz asked the Lord to bring to Ruth the wages that she has earned for her kindness towards her mother-in-law. And he even does the gracious thing of interpreting for Ruth what she has done. And he interprets it with what one commentator calls one of the most beautiful pictures of divine care in all of Scripture. That picture of, of coming under the wings of the Lord for refuge. It's actually a picture that the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth would pan later in Psalm 63, 7, where he says to the Lord, you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Boaz comforts Ruth with the reality. Ruth, you haven't sought for and found refuge and provision in me. You've ultimately sought for and found provision in the Lord and under the shelter of his wings. He basically says, I'm merely the channel. The Lord has been the source. By hiding like a young chick under its mother's wings, the Lord has led Ruth to the field of Boaz. He has led her to a provision of food, a provision of protection, a provision of care and comfort. He has become her hiding place from the moment she's told Naomi, your God, my God. Would you and I receive and welcome the same comfort, the same care, and the same provision? Not by finding our refuge somewhere else. Not by looking at the refuges that this world offers that will crumble at the first sign of disaster. But finding refuge under the wings of our gracious Lord 
and under his sovereign care. Would we look to and find no other shelter than the shelter offered under the shadow of his wings? And then from there, may we learn like Ruth to sing for joy. Because it's a delight to be shielded by our God. But not only do we see that Ruth finds the means of provision, she also experiences the bounty of provision. Boaz, with these words he's given, he's not done pouring out care on Ruth. He's going to throw the doors open even more. First, we see that Ruth finds welcome to a feast. Look at what Boaz says in verse 14. He tells her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Now, I used to work both construction in high school over the summer and I also worked in an aluminum metal factory through seminary. And both of my bosses were extremely kind and generous and generally pleasant to work for. But whenever lunchtime rolled around, they didn't eat with us. And they surely did not serve us. They didn't open up their lunchbox and say, here, Derek, here's my ham sandwich. It's all for you. But not so with Boaz. When it's time for the meal, he invites Ruth to the table. He doesn't say, stand over there under the shade of that tree while we eat, and maybe we'll throw you something. He offers from his share. He offers a more pleasant and fine dining cuisine, that wine she gets to dip in. Normally, someone like her would just get the dry, crusty bread. Boaz says, come, dip it in the wine. It's tasty. It's good. And then he even himself serves her. Not to the point where she has had just enough till she's fully satisfied and she gets to take the doggy boxes home so that Naomi can enjoy as well. As I read this, I I almost picture fast-forwarding to Jesus, but Judas sitting there and how he would respond. What are you doing? Do you know what that food could have been used for and you're squandering it on this lady? But it is here actually where we see the beauty of the gospel coming shining through at this point of the story. For it is here that we see in Boaz, not simply Boaz, we see the picture of the greater son of Boaz who would dine with sinners and with outcasts, welcome them to the table to sit with him, even to serve them. And then greater still, he would pay the high cost, not from his own pocket or not from his own bank account, but with his very life so that they could come and stay at his table and forever have welcome at his table. And because he did, you and I are welcome to come and to find refuge in him day after day, moment after moment as we need it, and oh, do we need it. We get to feast with him daily and at his table, which we will do shortly. We get to enjoy his abundance for us. And we have the promise that we will forever enjoy his abundance in his very presence, sitting at his table. Boaz points us forward to Jesus through whom God promises will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So would you rest in God's welcome through Christ? Would you feast on the abundant provision he has given you in Christ? The blessings he has poured out on you abundantly in him. 
And would you stand amazed at the kindness he has shown you and me, former outsiders who had no business sitting at his table and feasting with him. And yet he says, come, dine with me. But Ruth, we also see, doesn't experience abundance at the table. She sees abundance in the field. After the feast, Boaz ups the game a little bit. He tells his servants, don't simply let her glean from what's dropped. Pull out some sheaves, some full stalks. Leave them for her. Don't reproach her. Pull out some of the bundles, a few more stalks. Leave them for her as well. He tells the servants, make Ruth's life a little bit easier for her. This promises her not only abundance, it promises her abundance, a greater harvest than what she probably already has. And she also gets a security detail. If anyone questions what she's doing, what are you doing with those stocks? She can say, uh, he said I could. Abundance in the field now, to, now includes freedom from worry of harm, freedom from walking away empty-handed. And empty-handed we see she does not walk away. An ephah is not used today in our measurement standpoint, as far as I know, but it's anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. Such an amount is equal to several weeks' worth, not days, weeks' worth for the average worker. Picture for all you Costco Sam's people of one of their bags of flour, 25 pounds or rice, maybe a little bit bigger than that. I've never bought one because I do have a large family, but not that large. You can understand that why when, when Ruth, when Naomi probably even sees Ruth coming over the hill, she's probably dumbfounded. Jaw hits the floor because here comes Ruth with this 30, 50 pound sack on her shoulders. Look what I brought home. We see why Ruth, why Naomi is amazed. The joy of provision, which we'll get to in a moment. So brothers and sisters, to reiterate once more. This is the type of abundance we've been given in Christ. Paul says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Peter likewise declared, you and I have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Our storehouses are full. Our bank account is full. If you doubt it, you have the Spirit as your down payment, as the guarantee, proof of God's abundant provision for you in Christ. No, it's not always going to seem like it or feel like it. There might be times where you feel like you are scraping the bottom of the barrel, whether in a physical way or in a spiritual way. But rest assured that in Christ you are, we are, we have been, and we will be continued abundant provision in Christ. So we can ask God. Ask him for help. Ask him for more of that provision. Ask him to help us see how he already has provided for us to give us whatever it is that we lack. And do so in faith, trusting that God as your refuge will continue to provide and supply you with all that, we need, all that you need. Which brings us lastly then to the joy of provision. Experiencing the Lord's provision leads to rejoicing. With this point, I simply want to highlight two things. And first is that finally we're starting to see a softening of a bitter and cold heart of Naomi. 
in verse 20, we see that Naomi utters a prayer that does sound very similar to the prayer she gave to her daughters when she pleaded with them to go back to Moab. But there's one thing that's significantly different. In that prayer, she emphasized the covenant steadfast kindness of Ruth and Orpah. Notice whose steadfast kindness and care she emphasizes now. May he be blessed by the Lord, the he is Boaz, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi can now suddenly see the Lord's kindness. The dark clouds of her bitterness have suddenly started to melt away. No, it isn't that Naomi hasn't been receiving it. The Lord's gracious call for her to come home was his kindness. The Lord not letting Ruth turn and go back home, still his kindness. The Lord bringing them when the feast, the harvest were just starting, the Lord's kindness. But it is now almost the scales off on Naomi's eyes begin to fall as she pictures Ruth coming down the road with that 30 to 50 pound bag of grain on her shoulders. And the doggy bag left over, forgot about that. It's starting to melt this bitter, cold, and calloused heart that she's been harboring for so long. There could be joy for Naomi. There would be joy for her. The sorrow of night that she has been living under is starting to turn to the joy that comes with the morning. And second, we also see that the kindness of the Lord's provision restores Naomi's hope. We'll see this more next week when Naomi crafts this plan for Ruth to go get a husband. It's going to be Boaz. But for our text, we can confidently say that Naomi's outlook is suddenly a lot less bleak and a lot less depressing. She tells Naomi after she tells Ruth after she offers this prayer, this man Boaz is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now we've already been told this in verse 1, so we're not shocked when we hear Naomi say this. But I bet it was a pretty big shock to Naomi when Ruth says, the man whose field that I gleaned in, his name's Boaz. And no one knows exactly how close the relations were between Boaz and Elimelech. The word stresses familial, but, a, so, but not brotherly, but also more than an acquaintance. So if you're on a spectrum, somewhere between not a brother and more than an acquaintance. I don't know what that put it as, maybe a second cousin? But the relative point of emphasis is not, though, on relative. It's on redeemer. This word has a number of meanings in the Old Testament, and surprisingly, none of them apply to this situation in particular. And while this may lead us to be a little disappointed, it's actually a clever ploy by the writer who's going to show us that Boaz is not a typical redeemer. He's a special one. He's going to redeem in a way we're not expecting. He's going to help somehow in some way, not only for Naomi, but also for Ruth. How exactly, no one knows yet. But even still, Naomi knows enough that she now has hope. She's not going to fade away. She's not going to dissolve into nothing. And so she actually tells her daughter to do what her and her husband failed to do. Stay. Maybe it's a sign of repentance. We don't know. But Naomi tells Ruth, stay in his field. Don't look to another field. Don't go to another field. Don't do what my husband and I did and leave the field. Stay here. 
glean here. You will be provided for here. And you and I, we know we need our hope renewed from time to time. Maybe even day to day. Because we can easily grow discouraged, sometimes even bitter or forgetful or even apathetic to the provision of God as we press on in life. May we learn from Naomi. Allow the kindness of God that he has shown to you to wash over you afresh. Let it lead you not away from, but towards him, even in repentance. Let it stir your heart with joy. Let it give you a vision for the glorious future that is awaiting all those who seek refuge in him by faith. Let his kindness affirm his covenant steadfast love towards you. Whether you are this morning scraping at the bottom of the barrel or filled to the brim or somewhere in between. May it lead all of us to rejoice that our God is faithful. Our God does care. He will never leave us or forsake us even after we may have left or forsaken him. We see in Ruth chapter 2 that Ruth and Naomi found that they had a shelter. They discovered this after one day in the field of Boaz. Boaz would be the hope, the means, the abundance, and the joy of God's gracious provision for them today and in the days ahead. His provision, it says, would last them through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. So as we close this passage, I again want to fix our eyes not to Boaz. I would fail you if I tell you just to fix your eyes on Boaz because that's not your hope. But again, point you to Jesus. The true and greater Boaz. He is God's gracious and good and eternal provision for his people. He is the refuge not only from the storm of God's wrath against our sin, but for each and every stormy trial we face hereafter. And so if you are bitter, anxious, fearful, wayward, or faithfully plodding along this morning, I want to leave you with this quote from Ian Duguid's commentary that, that encouraged me. And I pray that it would encourage you to look to Christ. Even as you come to the table this morning, come with your weakness, come with your need for his abundant provision and find it. Duguid says, the remedy for our hard and bitter hearts in the midst of our distress, is to ponder God's awesome grace and covenant faithfulness. If we fix our eyes on the glorious grace of God and his costly answer for our deepest need, then we will not so quickly doubt that he will meet all of our other needs. So brothers and sisters, there is abundant provision of grace for those who seek refuge in the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, you and you alone are our refuge. Forgive us for where we have sought refuge and provision outside of your gracious care, outside of the shelter that you offer us under your wings. Thank you for Jesus, who has welcomed us to the table, to your table, to feast with you today, and you can get a foretaste of that feast we will have with you in eternity. Open our eyes to the reality of your grace and your kindness towards outsiders like us. Lead us to worship you, to glorify you, to bask in the sheer kindness of you, our God, towards us, your people. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.